Welcome back to Psych for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Falucco, child psychiatrist and mom. Today, I'm really excited to talk about one of my favorite clinical interests, which is adolescent depression. And I've brought a guest co-host in today, Dr. Michaela Dennison, who is a fantastic child and adolescent psychiatrist. Dr. Michaela and I have worked pretty closely on training pediatricians. We're just going to chat about top clinical pearls and things that we think pediatricians should know. Welcome, Dr. Michaela Dennison. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so excited to get to interview you on this topic because I think of you as an expert in this area and expert at training pediatricians on how to think about depression in kids. Thank you. Yes, I have been really clinically interested in depression and I've been drawn to this since as early as training. One of the reasons is, is I think it's really a hidden illness and it's something that people can suffer with and even their loved ones may not be able to tell. It's an internalizing disorder and people are really good at keeping it in. And then sometimes we don't even hear about it until the parents are expressing what they see externally. She's irritable or she just doesn't want to come out for family meals. Sometimes we see our kids who are very high achieving and do everything, academics, extracurriculars, socially helping out with the family. And we can't assume that they don't feel sad. Yeah. You can be depressed at your core or at night when you're alone and everything is settled down. And you can't tell from the outside. You just, as a parent, you're just seeing right. a kid being moody, right. like you said, staying in their room and <laughs> you don't know what they're feeling. And so I'm so glad that people are routinely screening <laughs> for this at Well Visits so that kids have the opportunity to share, yeah, I think this is maybe how I've been feeling mm -hmm. and, and this is what's going on. I think prevention is key. Screening is key. We can do so much to help people. First thing, what are things that all pediatricians should know about adolescent depression? I think the first most important thing is that depression is much more common than we think it is. And sadly, it's actually on the rise. Mm -hmm. Our data is saying that somewhere around 15% of kids now have suffered from a depressive episode. Depression also is a chronic recurring illness. And so it's not something that just happens once, but can happen multiple times throughout your life. I think just reminding pediatricians to remind families that depression is another really common medical illness that's affecting, sadly, a large proportion of our teens. I'm assuming everybody who's listening screens all of their kids 12 and older for signs of depression with a standardized screening tool, which is recommended by the USPSTF. Which is your preferred screener? I'm most comfortable using the PHQ-9A. For those of you who are not as familiar, it's the nine-item screener that goes through the nine symptoms of depression as defined by our DSM and asks kids to rate them on a scale of zero to three, zero being never, three being this is something that happens nearly every day. And one of the reasons why I like it is that it's specifically asking about suicide on question number nine. And we know it may be easier for kids to endorse having suicidal thoughts when they're filling out a written questionnaire or something online. It gives you a lot of valuable information about somebody who you may not know is suffering. So how do you approach a teen with a positive screener, say on the PHQ-9A? The first thing is stepping back and remembering that a positive screen isn't diagnostic. It certainly doesn't mean that they have depression. I have three steps for approaching a positive screen. Step one, review the symptoms, a time course. 
and the context of symptoms. And so what I'll start by doing is literally taking the PHQ-9 and thanking the team so much for completing this. I'll sort of reflect what they've shared. If they endorsed, they're feeling down or irritable most days, I'll say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? How long do we think this has been going on? When did this start? And then going through some of the other symptoms. You're having trouble sleeping. Is it trouble falling asleep or trouble staying asleep? Or is it the opposite, that you feel like you're sleeping all the time? And that kind of information is really helpful later if you end up using a medication to treat depression because you want to know what type of sleep problems they have, and that will inform which choice of med you're going to use. And then, of course, delve into stressors, the context for symptoms. Is it that we've been feeling this way since we moved or started a new school and it's only been a week or two? Or is this something that's been going on for months or even longer and is really affecting your daily life? Because that's going to help you differentiate between something that's more mild versus something that's probably a clinical level disorder. So wrapping up step one is really just review the symptoms, figure out the time course, and what's the context of the symptoms in terms of stressors. I really liked also talking about the sleep. It's important to do a very thorough sleep assessment. If somebody's sleep deprived, that's going to mimic depression or cause concentration issues or motivation. So it's really helpful to identify if there's a primary sleep issue that's contributing. Definitely. And step two is just thinking about what else is on the differential. Do a thorough review of systems and a physical exam to make sure you're not missing anything like hypothyroidism or mono or diabetes. Look at their medication list and make sure that they're not on a medication that could be causing depressive symptoms. Thinking about psychiatric comorbidities, anxiety commonly co-occurs with depression. And so Checking in and also finding out, is there anything that you're afraid of or worried about? Or are you somebody who worries a lot as well? Because it can be helpful to know if they've got both of those. Anxiety can mimic some symptoms of depression. They avoid scary things and then their world gets smaller. But you can often have both together. Other things that would be on your differential, you're thinking about trauma. Has this child experienced significant trauma in their life? Could it be that symptoms of irritability and symptoms of what look like depression are really more related to traumatic stress? Do you want to be thinking about drug use? Mm -hmm. Vaping, THC, or any sort of heavy drug use can potentially cause symptoms that could look like depression. Even caffeine is something that maybe we don't always ask about or provide counseling on, but it hugely impacts sleep and mood. So I definitely include caffeine when talking to all kids. That's such a good point of just making sure to routinely ask about how often are you drinking caffeinated beverages. Mm -hmm. We always want to rule out other potential psychiatric problems that could present with depressive symptoms. The most concerning ones would be mania, bipolar, or psychosis. And so I'll ask two real quick questions. One is to assess for a cardinal symptom of mania, which is decreased need for sleep. I just asked, have there ever been any times where you felt like you didn't need to sleep, where you could go just a couple of hours a night, wake up, feel refreshed and wonderful, and be able to go that whole day without caffeine or naps or anything else? And what we're really looking for is a period of at least three to five nights in a row where they don't need to sleep and can still have plenty of energy during the day. Usually the kids who have depression just look at you like, I wish I could feel that way. They'll say no. Then join a screen for psychosis very briefly. Have you ever had any unusual experiences where you see or hear things that other people don't see or hear? And usually get a no on that. 
I think that a lot of healthcare providers are nervous to ask those questions, but the way that you've broken it down, it makes it very digestible and feels like, okay, I could try that. It's really important to separate the child from the parent for just a couple minutes. And even if they say no to everything, great. At least you feel a little bit more confident that the information you're getting is accurate. And it gives the kid that opportunity. If there is anything personal and private, that they have that confidentiality and that they can talk to you about that. You're a trusted person. And these are definitely sensitive topics. So I think it's really important to separate them. Yes. <laughs> I've been surprised so many times when I separate the teenager or the child and I'm just talking to them one-on-one -on -one and the parent or caregiver is outside of the room. You learn about a lot of things that are happening that you never would have guessed just by your brief interactions. Oftentimes, <laughs> kids with depression have family conflict. And so it can be really helpful to find out what is stressing you out. What are the things that are going on right now that may be affecting your mood, things that you're worried about? Oftentimes you will hear about family situations. And that's valuable to know too, because eventually you're going to bring the parent back into the room to talk about, hey, I'm concerned that your child has depression. And so it's helpful to know this is what may be going on in the home. Right. And speaking of stressors, we know that school in and of itself is a big stressor and the academics and the social aspect of school. You can see the trend in suicidality, which is a symptom of depression, and that it tends to peak in October and April. And that corresponds with school, with exams and things like that. So just like Dr. John Walkup said in episode four about fearless families, it's important to be proactive and for us as clinicians to anticipate the upcoming stressors and prepare children and their families for those things and normalizing that the school year is hard and it's stressful and really emphasizing the importance of getting back on that sleep schedule because we know that kids when they're in school they have sleep deprivation. Excellent point. And thanks so much for sharing that national population level data about increased suicide attempts in kids and teens, especially in October and in April, which really seems to correlate with midterms um, and other stressful events in the academic year. It's such a great reminder for all of us to make sure that we're really screening and on the lookout for depression and signs of suicidality, particularly in the fall and early spring. I think that brings us nicely to the third step and arguably the most important step in the approach to adolescent depression. The third step in our approach to assessing a positive depression screen is really thinking about safety and suicide risk. We'll start by normalizing and saying, look, a lot of times when people feel the way that you've described, and I'll use their words, angry or frustrated or just not myself, they'll have thoughts about wanting to fall asleep and never wake up again. Have you had those thoughts? They'll say yes. And then I'll say, have you ever thought that you wanted to do something to end your life? Sometimes they'll say yes. Sometimes they'll say no. And then that gets to, have you ever done something to try to end your life? And I specifically say end your life and not hurt yourself, especially because so many of the kids suffering from depression can be doing self-injurious behaviors or cutting. And so when they hear hurt yourself, they may be thinking about cutting and not suicide. So then we've asked about passive suicidal thoughts, like that I'd be better off dead, active suicidal thoughts that you want to end your life. And then I'll ask, have you ever done anything to try to end your life? And then a plan. Have you ever thought about what you might do to try to end your life? And then the most important question out of all of these questions is really about intent. Do you really want 
to end your life? If they say yes, then immediately we're going to the emergency room and that's one conversation. But probably 90% of the time, maybe even higher, even in our very sick population, the answer is no. The follow-up question has to be why not? When you are feeling this upset and so frustrated, what keeps you from acting on these thoughts of wanting to end your life? And that is the protective (laughs) factor. That is what we need to know about to try to help this child. You asked earlier, what is something pediatric clinicians should know about depression? One important thing is just because they're having thoughts of suicide, meaning that they've thought about ending their life, does not mean that they need emergency evaluation. What we know from our most recent CDC study is that somewhere around one in five typical U.S. high school students has seriously thought about ending their life in the past year. Suicidal thoughts are really common. What we're really looking for are red flags. Do they have suicidal plan? Have they had a recent suicide attempt? And most importantly, do they have suicidal intent, the true wish to end their life now? Any of those red flags send you to the emergency room, but just suicidal thoughts without those red flags puts you at a lower risk and means you really could be treated in an outpatient setting. Another really helpful resource for pediatricians on the topic of adolescent depression is a video funded by the American Academy of Pediatrics, where you actually go in much more detail about this three-step approach. And there's also the interviewing with actors, parents, and adolescents to really give you examples of the way to talk about these things. Thanks. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we did a 10 or 15 minute video on assessing depression and suicide risk and had fantastic actors and a wonderful producer. We will be posting that video on our website, psychedthenumber4peds.com. And how about you wrap us up, Dr. Dennison? The takeaway points are really what every pediatrician should know about adolescent depression in regards to screening children 12 and up annually for depression. And then the three-step approach with assessing the depressive symptoms, considering the differentials, and of course, most importantly, is the safety assessment. Thank you. We hope you all will tune in to the next episode where we talk about medication treatment for depression. See you next time. Thank you.